Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And I can't wait to find out, Lisa, who is this episode's featured guest. Well, we are very privileged to have not just a colleague at the University of Central Florida, but also a friend of ours, uh, Dr. Jennifer Kent Walsh. And I'm going to let Dr. Walsh share just a little bit of her really rich background, but we're so excited to talk with you about lots of topics. And specifically, I know we're going to highlight a little bit in assistive technology. So welcome, Dr. Kent Walsh. Okay, well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So you asked me, Lisa, to share a little bit of, of my background. So um, I am both a teacher and a speech language pathologist uh, by trade. So having spent lots of time uh, in the classroom and in clinical settings. So my research focuses in the area of assistive technology and not surprising, I'm sure, uh, in the area of communication. So augmentative and alternative communication is really my love and, and passion in working with children to be able to use technology to communicate in all of the environments that are important to them. So at UCF, we're, we're fortunate to have a, a clinic and very active research program and many colleagues um, working with me in this area. So these are exciting times to be working um, in AAC and assistive technology. Jennifer, we're so, we're so glad to have you. Um, Lisa, it's funny because every every time we introduce a guest, we say, "This is hey, this is our friend." Well, they they actually really are, um, and we're lucky to get to work with people um, like Dr. Kent Walsh. So, Jennifer, you mentioned these these exciting times, and you mentioned also, you know, we sure we are a big university, we have labs, but I think there's a lot of opportunities that are popping up, and also challenges um, that you guys are kind of on literally the, the cutting edge of this idea of delivering services from a distance. And maybe that opens some doors for some families and maybe it provides some barriers for others. But can you give us an idea of what's, what's happening in, in remote services these days? Sure. Well, this is something when it comes to telehealth or teleeducational service delivery that we've been all thinking about for many years and, and sort of dabbling in. But of course, in this COVID age, we're really pushed into, okay, tomorrow we start providing uh, services um, in a remote format. So using Zoom, for example, so that we're able to not just be providing telephone access, but to actually see um, clients that we're working with, family, students. Um, and, you know, in some cases that is something on a computer like Zoom, or in other cases that is just using a, an iPhone or an Android phone, what have you, where we can actually have video access. So we think that that's a really important element of having that connection in working with people. You know, I just had an opportunity yesterday to run some analysis of, of parent surveys at a local agency that does provide those kind of services um, and was asking parents, you know, what's what's going well um, with this idea of telehealth and, and, and online services. And several parents responded that, you know, bringing those services into the home actually helps them as parents understand what types of tools and strategies they can use with their own children. Is this something that you're, you're seeing in your field? Absolutely. And we, we've long been focused both in our service delivery at UCF, but also in our research on how can we support 
uh, parents, teachers, paraeducators, all, all professionals um, and family members, et cetera, who are working with um, individuals who have uh, complex communication needs. So that's research that we've been doing, but only in more recent years have we been transferring that to um, really providing those services and following the outcomes for individuals where we're providing that support with the family um, in the home or with the educators in the classroom, et cetera, um, via distance modality. So it's exciting to see uh, positive outcomes um, and a real need to have that support in that different context. Well, you know, you, you talked, you know, gave such great things to think about from this remote delivery and, and we'll assume that we won't be in this model forever. Uh, I know we're very optimistic that this, you know, will give us a new way of thinking about technology. And I think one of the benefits we've seen is now every kid has technology in many of the educational arenas. We still know there's a gap there, but now that they have it, but let, let me take us down a path of brand new. I know you're a, a great mom and, and you have your own children and you've been a teacher and now you're a researcher. But imagine I'm a mom of a two or a three year old and and things just don't seem to be developing what how do you help families or teachers i'm a preschool teacher understand when's the right time to start using some kind of communication tool and how do we best start that where where does just you know take me from the beginning you've had so much experience in that area uh when do i as a parent call and ask for help or when do i as a teacher say wait a minute something seems amiss Right. Well, I don't think that there's any time that's too early to start asking those questions. Um, so we've really seen when it comes to um, communication intervention that the earlier the better. So sometimes uh, we, we actually see where parents will ask a question maybe to a physician and kind of get brushed off. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, and of course, we're not expecting, you know, children uh, before a year of age to be speaking in sentences or anything like that. Um, but if there is a concern where you really, um, as a, a service provider, as an educator, or as a parent, where you're not seeing those first words or those first phrases start to come at the time that you think they might, it's worth asking that question. And the resources that exist um, anywhere throughout the country, certainly here in, in our area with assistive technology um, centers that are located around the state, in addition to then through early intervention, um, opportunities to, to get services, et cetera, there are a lot of resources that um, families and service providers can reach out to and double check something. And you know, even at this time, like, like you're saying, when it's not necessarily preferable or in some cases possible um, to go somewhere physically, it is possible to have these um, tele-appointments to really just do a, a check-in and um, describe what's happening, maybe take a a short survey, have an opportunity to interact with the child where you can get some professional support and advice. And I, I love that, you know, it's never too early. And I agree with that. I mean, I think if you can figure out problems early, and I bet something you've seen, so I'll ask, and you're probably going to give me a good laugh here. I bet you probably have seen the devices, once they're given to kids, might have some relationship to behavior. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I wonder kind of what you see um, when kids don't have language, what are some of the behavior signs families or teachers should be thinking about and how maybe assistive technology might be a bridge for that? Sure. 
Well, of course, it can become very frustrating very quickly, um, particularly for a young child when they're trying to communicate something and they think they're being clear in, in many cases. And when their only outlet is to maybe um, tantrum or uh, do something that is less desirable that the, the family member or the caregiver service provider is not really looking for, um, but they are trying to communicate something to you. So we often see um, challenging behaviors really decrease when we're able to put in place some technology to support effective communication. And uh, I think it's important to remember that kids don't have to be reading and writing and able to type out sentences um, to use technology to communicate. And they don't need to rely on, on technology 100% even. If they can't meet all of their communication needs using natural speech, then that is an opportunity for us to look at what supports can we look to complement and support the development of speech and language over time. So Jennifer, that's great information. And, you know, that idea of behavior is, is a form of communication. Um, but, but what if I'm a, a parent or a, a teacher and I'm thinking, oh, but if I put this, this alternative communication opportunity in front of my child and I give them something, some, some, something electronic to use to communicate with me, you know, oh, I'm, 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 not encouraging them to use the spoken word and my my child doesn't have a you know a physical speech problem they're just choosing not to talk what if i'm that parent what would you say the research shows us on you know using these devices to supplement as you said and you know does that impact the, their willingness to produce physically produce language Right. Well, it's one of the most common myths that we encounter, um, certainly in our field and, and in education, uh, where we have those concerns, either by family members or by teachers or service providers, that if we use some other form of communication, we introduce technology. And whether that be high tech, obviously, we have lots of options with apps and, and devices, or even low tech, will that impact um, the child's desire or um, initiative to use natural speech. And, and the outcomes are very, very clear and have been for a long time, that it's just the opposite, that it really does increase the use of spoken communication. So that, that's something that's always very interesting to me when I look for feedback from families on, you know, what did you, did you think about participating in this research study or participating in this clinical service um, program? And usually the first um, piece of feedback I get is, they, they talk more. Um, so their kids are always going to take the path of least resistance. And if they learn, hey, I can try and use my speech. And if I'm not understood, I have this other backup option here that I can use as well. So we really see them start to use those multiple modes of communication very, very naturally. And you use those that that those key terms in the AT world of, you know, low tech and, and high tech. So from the practical side, for families or teachers, what's what's an example of a low tech um, device or tool? Sure. So even a communication board that has some uh, words or phrases expressed in a picture format. So maybe it's line drawings or maybe it's actual photographs where a child can point to something to communicate that message. And it's not just wants and needs. Of course, that is important. We need to know um, when a child needs something or when they want something. But we also need them for them to be able to express emotion or, um, you know, really 
tell us when something is bothering them, et cetera. So that type of communication in a low tech, um, as you say, using that um, terminology can be just a, a printed page, a laminated page of, of different messages that might be um, frequently accessed or important, or that we might wanna be encouraging the child to start to communicate in a more functional manner rather than through um, more difficult behaviors, et cetera. Yeah, and so I'm gonna go, uh Becky stole my question. Just kidding. No, not really. I, I was going to ask you a really simple uh, question. What are some free, uh, low cost, no cost apps uh, that teachers or parents might want to consider downloading? I know you're not endorsing a product, but again, what is out there that may be a couple of go-tos that seem to be the ones that families bring into the center they use the most or that the center has? I, I think that's what people are kind of wondering is what, what is it that, that I should start with that's, that's free? <laughs> well, that, that is a very difficult question to answer, uh, as you said, uh, because there, there are so many unique needs and looking at what might you, you start to use just to communicate very basic message. What we want to make sure is that we don't box kids in. They have to continue to develop a expressive, you know, their language skills as they're able to express what they want to say. So the more complex, if you will, apps um, to a certain degree, really in most cases are most appropriate to keep kids moving along because they can experience success with something that maybe didn't cost anything or maybe that cost a dollar or two, um, but they will quickly get very frustrated with that if they're not able to continue to advance. So that's where getting some support, you know, we still uh, really advocate for having some support from a professional to work side by side to provide um, options for the family to try out and not get boxed into something that then they have purchased and they're kind of stuck with. So that's where, you know, being able to borrow something, borrow a piece of equipment that has a bunch of different apps um, that is, you know, really highly recommended as opposed to just downloading something and giving it a try. And is there um, at your center, um, is there um, some kind of place to kind of see some of those sites or some of those tools? Um, is there somewhere I would start that I might click on or learn or um, something from ASHA or, you know, again, you're involved in so many great organizations that might be a good beginning place to go find? Sure. So the American Speech Language Hearing Association definitely does have a, a comprehensive website that provides some um, resources and sort of links out to other sites that uh, would be worthwhile in exploring. So that's just ASHA, ASH.org. Um, and you can go to the um, family member section of the site there to get information. Uh, and then in the local centers, you know, in, in the various states around the, the, the country, we have tech act sites um, like ours here at UCF in the FAST Center where we're able to provide, again, those links and resources for families. We're actually working on something right now um, to be able to distribute to families here in our local area, both in terms of um, what are the technologies that can be supportive, but also then who are other service providers that can partner with families and with professionals to provide these services. So, so my last question for you, and then I'll turn it over to Becky to ask a couple here, um, would be in, in all the work that you've been seeing, what is it you wish teachers and speech and language teachers, because you have that background, would do together better in our field as we go back into brick and mortar settings? What do you wish for kids with communication needs that you might see emerge as we return to brick and mortar? 
Sure. Well, not to be afraid of the integration of technology in the natural environment. So it, it's great to have, you know, speech and language services, for example, um, and we need to have those provided in some cases in more private contained settings, et cetera, so that, that the focus can be there. Um, but the daily use of the communication in those um, settings that really make a difference for the child, that's what's important. That's where they experience the power of communication. So that partnership between the professionals and the family is really where the magic happens. Um, so I think that that would be my, my biggest wish is really that ongoing communication and looking at how can we immediately apply uh, any technologies that we're trying um, in an environment that means something to the child. And then kind of circling back to this idea of, you know, the low tech, the high tech, the, the, and basically the expense of special equipment for kids. You know, as a, as a family member of, of someone who is considered a, a high need child and, you know, um, my nephew, his whole life, people have wanted to be able to supplement his speech and to do other things and they'll put things in his hands and people get frustrated because they, they will put a thousand dollar piece of equipment in his hands. And then if he can't do something with it immediately, um, everyone, everyone's like, well, he can't use that. Um, so, so just thinking about the big picture, but, but from both ends, from the families and the therapists and the, you know, teachers, what would you say is some, a specific recommendation as you're trying to help someone use new equipment, you know, what's the threshold? What's our, how do we know when to move on to something else? You know, I think a lot of people just say, nope, didn't work. Um, well, what would you say to those people? Well, I think that it's very unreasonable for us to expect, particularly when it comes to communication, that you put something in the hands of, and you know, we work with adults as well as children, we put something in their hands and we expect that they magically know how to use it in a functional way. Um, that, that's just not the case. Just like we don't expect you know, young children to be uh, talking before they have heard thousands and thousands and millions of examples um, of functional use of, of speech and language, we need to provide that support. So simply just turning something over and expecting that, it, it just is not the case. And, and our research tells us that over and over again. And that's why you know, many of us have spent the, the good portion of our career really working with those who are the significant others. So working with um, the teachers, the, the paraprofessionals, the family members, you know, other support providers, so that they learn how to be effective in supporting functional communication. Um, that is where if we don't have that environment as a starting point, it, it's not going to work. So we need to have the ongoing intervention for the, the child, for sure. We need to be focusing on language, just like we do language intervention for kids who have other language disorders and delays. Um, but we do need to be really, really highly supportive of those significant others for this population. That's a huge takeaway that without that, we really don't see the success in terms of them being able to functionally use the equipment. I, I think that's a great point. And I think that, you know, we forget sometimes that not all, not all parents have the level of education to be able to take a device and just suddenly um, read through a long, you know, description of how to use it. And I think maybe as a profession, we might be more mindful of, you know, figuring out how we can simplify instructions and give specific guidelines on try this for X number of minutes. You know, I think, I think all of that is, is in our profession, both as teachers, um, 
in speech language, et cetera. I think really looking at how we can communicate that is, is critical. Um, as, as we wrap up, I, I would love for you to tell us what's one thing, one thing, one, one thing you would tell all parents to try if their student seems like, if their child seems like they have, you know, a, a, a language issue specifically, and they're not producing um, language at a rate that, that they might be expected to. Well, I think that um, setting up an opportunity for communication in um, a context that, again, is meaningful. So if there's some way to withhold um, something that the child wants, et cetera, if you're trying to test to see, okay, are they really trying to tell me something specific? Be mindful of the options that are there and look at, you know, how can you drill down to what is it that the child is trying to communicate? But if there's that, you know, coming back to, as we discussed earlier, if there is that concern, really reaching out to get some um, support through um, teachers, through speech pathologists, et cetera, um, to have the support and looking more closely at what's going on. Because sometimes, you know, a very short course of intervention can yield some very significant changes um, when it comes to how the person is able to, or how the child is able to functionally communicate. Thanks. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kent Walsh. And thanks for all your work you're doing for families and kids in the community. Your center has really made a huge impact in Central Florida. So we thank you for joining us on uh, Practical Access. You can please send us questions on our Facebook page at Practical Access or on our Twitter feed at Access Practical. Again, thank you, Dr. Kent Walsh. Thank you, my pleasure.